1: This is People Every Day. Coming up, why there's been a surge in eating disorders among boys and young men during the pandemic. Plus, Prince Charles says brother Prince Andrew will not return as an official royal amid sexual abuse case. Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis wash their hands of the bathing debate. And Reservation Dog star Devery Jacobs is one to watch. It's August 12th. Hi folks, this is People Every Day. I'm Janine Rubenstein and it is Thursday. Fun fact, my producer Julia and I met last night for the first time in person and off of Zoom. The pandemic has kept us apart, but I'm happy to report she is even more awesome in 3D. Also, very happy to report that the bathtub at Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis' house is getting some love these days. What the
2: we're bathing oh, like the the couple who
1: three. recently set off the four world's biggest three. debate over bathing took to social media with a fun video from their bathroom declaring that they do, in fact, bathe their children and have done so four times this week. OK, four times. So it seems as though cleaner heads have prevailed. In other news, Kelly Clarkson is taking her name back. Of course, she's always been Clarkson to us. But in her ongoing divorce case, she just asked the judge to legally restore her last name amid her split with Brandon Blackstock. And one more legal-related headline out there involving the royals. It's being reported that Prince Charles has said that his brother, Prince Andrew, will not be resuming life as a royal in the wake of the lawsuit and investigations he's facing for Virginia Giuffre's claims of sexual abuse. This comes with word that Scotland Yard official Cressida Dick will be reviewing the claims against Prince Andrew for the third time. And a source told the London Times that the research of all of this will bring, quote, unwelcome reputational damage to the institution. And the source added that though Charles, quote, loves his brother and has the ability to have sympathy for the slings and arrows that his brother endures, he also, quote, long ago concluded that it is probably an unsolvable problem. All right. Joining me now is senior editor Michelle Tauber, who is my usual go-to for the royals because she's an expert, but we've covered Prince Andrew earlier this week, so For today, Michelle is here to dig into a different, very important story coming out of the U.S. That's in this week's issue. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Janine. Great to, great to be here with you. You did some really incredible reporting in the issue this week about eating disorders, specifically the rise in eating disorders among young men in the midst of the pandemic. So a word for our listeners before we dive into this, some of what you're going to hear and what we're going to talk about is upsetting. So just take care of yourself. But uh, Michelle, before we get into specifics, uh, you caught up with a young man named Sean Canfield. So introduce him and and his story.
3: Sure. And thanks so much for having me on to talk about this. I think it's really going to help a lot of people to share some of this information, because as you said, it's really um, a crisis at the moment. So eating disorders were already on the rise. And um, and then during the pandemic, it got even worse. And I spoke with Sean. Now, he is recovered. Um, so his eating disorder, he's now 24. His eating disorder started around the age of 12 when he first tried out for his school wrestling team. So for Sean, what happened? Was he showed up for his um, wrestling tryouts, and the coach got out the calipers, right? And they lined up all the kids and started measuring. Okay, here's how much you know fat you have. Yours, and he said when he walked That's in the there, pinch the pinch, pincher, right? like, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, obviously, wrestling is a very weight-focused uh, sport, yeah. but mm-hmm. um, but this happens with many children's and teen sports. So so um, Sean said he walked in feeling pretty okay about his body and walked out not really feeling. That way anymore, mm. um, and and what's really interesting in reporting this story is that sometimes something that small can really set into motion a very serious illness, and and for Sean that's what happened. You know, he started thinking about his body, wanting to eat healthy, um, want focusing on um, on his his looks, and it was never enough for him, and it escalated to the point of, of you know he went to a, his pediatrician for a checkup, and the the doctor noticed a heart arrhythmia. He he was hospitalized and ended up doing four months in an inpatient uh, treatment program where he got the tools to, to, to fight this really insidious and often deadly disease.
1: Wow. And, and he was dealing with anorexia?
3: Correct. He was restricting what he ate. And, you know, another thing is with boys, that can often look different than with girls. Restricting is a keystone of, of eating disorders in general, in particular, anorexia. Things that might seem healthy, like I'm going to have a shake, a protein shake instead of a meal, that can sometimes really snowball into snowball, yeah. disordered eating. Yeah.
1: Wow. And so, how has this just blown up during the pandemic and why?
3: Yeah. So the um, registered dietitian who specializes in eating disorders, who I spoke with for this story and who was part of Sean's recovery, in fact, um, a woman named Alice Baker, she told me that in 20 years of practice, she has never seen this much need. Um, There are uh, wait lists for hospitals and treatment programs across the country. And the other expert I spoke with, uh, Una Hansen, who um, is a parent coach and a family treatment-based mentor for many, many families with eating disorders. She said that it was this perfect storm of social isolation, disruption in routine, a general kind of focus on fitness that many kids, when they didn't have something else to focus on during the pandemic, they started really noticing, um, you know, maybe I could cut here and look better here. And social media feeds into that. The COVID-15 memes, the, you know, oh no, look, I'm gaining weight during the pandemic. And the, um, Mm. you know, there was a lot of fat phobia around Around Covid, because you know of the incidence um, in terms of obesity and, and the, the risks that presented for people with Covid. So all of those things together were a wow. really perfect yeah. storm.
1: Yeah, and so when when you Talk about Sean and, and just this whole story struck me because there's a lot of misconceptions about eating disorders, but one is that it doesn't affect men and, and doesn't affect boys.
3: Yeah, I think for a lot of people, it's really surprising. It's a lot more common than people realize. It, one in seven men will, will be diagnosed with an eating disorder by the age of 40. And it's oh, wow. estimated, yeah, it's estimated that as many as 40% of people with eating disorders are
1: men. And so you talked a little bit about it, it looking different in men, but th- you know, in, in grappling with this, what did Sean have to say about his experience? You know, at, as a guy dealing with this.
3: Yeah, he said that it was really hard for him to feel like he could a express himself, have the words that he needed as a guy. That was a challenge, and b he said eating disorders. Kind of counter everything our culture tells you about masculinity, so mm. that was you know that was a challenge for him um, in dealing with them and again, I think it was it's so important to educate people that eating disorders look different for everyone, and what might look like healthy eating you know, it is disguising a, a really, a, a much deeper illness.
1: Mm-hmm. And so what are some of the signs? I'm so happy for him that he has recovered, but what are some of the signs that loved ones can keep an eye on and, and keep an eye out for so that they can help?
3: Yeah, well, and first thing, you know, I want to say that, that a lot of people have a very, mis- a big misconception that an eating disorder happens after someone has a, a, a trauma or someone is suffering from depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. and that leads mm-hmm. to an eating disorder. That can be true. But often the eating disorder and the and the, the deprivation, the nutritional deprivation, leads to depression and anxiety, not the other mm. way around. So, so one of the things to look for is um, a change in mood. And I'm really talking about teenagers now. Another one, obviously, weight loss. But I but I want to make the point that Una made that even in. Children in larger bodies, weight loss is something to pay attention to. Even again, when a well-meaning pediatrician or healthcare provider may be saying, "Oh, it's great, you're losing weight. Oh, you look so good." We we need to pull back from um from the from the sort of fat phobic like conversations around around bodies and what's healthy and what's not, and really look at each individual child. And when a child who is growing, who is still growing, is losing weight. Pay attention to that. Anxiety around eating is huge. Um, people with eating disorders often try to disguise that, but you know, again, I think parents can be on the lookout for children who stop eating their favorite foods, like paying attention to how the food looks on the plate and being being you know, particular about things that they weren't in the past. That that anxious feeling that again, you can pick up on as a parent. Obviously, a lot of people know obsessive exercise, but the way to think of it is when your child, when the joy is lost. And that goes for the food too. When, when the joy is lost, when you see your child, Ona gave the example of like exercising in the rain. Those are signs that, um, that it's become obsessive. red flag. Yeah. Things they would have enjoyed in the past and don't any longer red flag.
1: Oh, Michelle, thank you so much for doing this story and getting this, this information out there. I've learned so much just talking to you and, and I appreciate having you on. Thank you so much, Janine. Next up, introducing you to a young, indigenous actress who's on the rise. Stick around for my chat with Devry Jacobs, star of Buzzed About new FX series, Reservation Dogs.
0: Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea.
1: Make the most of your me time with sensational hair products from Method. The new range of shampoos and conditioners will leave your hair looking shiny and feeling healthy. From pure peace, infused with peony, rose water, and quinoa protein, to simply nourish, crafted with coconut, rice milk, and shea butter. And daily zen with calming cucumber, seaweed, and green tea. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower with Method and reconnect with the best version of yourself. Guys, there's a people feature I love that I'm excited to bring to the podcast today. Ones to Watch, where we get to introduce you to promising young stars on the rise that we're excited about and we know you should be, too. And for today, I bring you actress, activist and all around boss, Devry Jacobs. She is one of the stars of the new FX series Reservation Dogs streaming on Hulu and everyone's buzzing about it. It follows four indigenous teens in rural Oklahoma as they navigate the misadventures of youth while trying to get to California. California. I'm excited about the show because it amplifies indigenous voices in a way that I haven't really seen before. Most of the people behind the show grew up in indigenous communities and Devery herself is originally from the Mohawk territory in Quebec and she's here now to get into that and more. Hi Devery, how are you?
2: Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm doing great.
1: So awesome to have you on. And and let's get into your character. You play Alora, the de facto leader of the group, right? So introduce us to her a little bit and, and what you like about her.
2: Absolutely. So I play Alora Dannon, who is named after the baby in the 1980s movie Willow. Um, <laughs> And Laura Dannen is, I would say she's like the moral center of the group, whether they like it or not. She's the one who organizes the crimes, who's the one who's getting the money together to leave for California. Um, and I've had the privilege of playing a lot of like badass women and young women in in the career that I've had. And Elora Danning is no exception. But what I especially love about her is that she has so much heart. And even though we're introduced to her with this tough exterior throughout the season, we get to see who she is and how she's become the way that she is.
1: Nice, nice. So the show was created and co-written by Taika Watiti and Sterling Harjo and it actually takes place near where Sterling grew up. So how did he help you guys like prepare for this role and and do you feel, you know, pressure knowing that I mean, a he and other folks in the community are watching <laughs> and and that this is something that, you know, would be distributed on a large scale?
2: I mean, I feel like even if i weren't a part of this project it would be something that i'd watch which just makes me even more proud to to be a part of it but i feel like it's it's about damn time that indigenous people are represented on this scale so rarely have we been afforded the opportunity to tell our own stories and reservation dogs is it's so perfect that it's a comedy because our communities are actually so funny and nobody thinks like in Western culture really thinks that indigenous people are anything but this idea of like the stoic Indian who's in like who are being shot in old Western films or they'll think of stereotypes like Pocahontas, but we we haven't had many opportunities to be three-dimensional, but we're all collectively helping Sterling tell his childhood story of the experience of growing up in rural Oklahoma, of being Muskogee Creek and Seminole, of being descendants from the Trail of Tears. That experience is something that we all got on board in telling. And, and a huge part in preparing for the role, Sterling invited us in to learn about the Trail of Tears and to learn about mm. Muskogee history to learn about seminal culture and the the entire set like this is the first project i'd ever experienced where it was an in all indigenous writers room there were only indigenous directors it was an all native wow
1: group.
2: but then not only that in like nearly every department when i looked around there were indigenous crew members so while we all fall under the umbrella of like indigenous or native american we are all different and come from different experiences but this show very much uh, a piece of work that draws on all of our experiences, whether we were raised on reservations or raised in urban settings.
1: That is so awesome. That's so awesome. I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned that, yes, there there are thousands of indigenous communities all around the world. And, and, and we also know that this is one show about one group of people. But that said, is there something universal here that you guys felt something that appealed to you, even though you grew up, you know, thousands of miles away in a different community?
2: Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. I mean, even if I look at Taika Waititi's 2010 film, Boy, I watched that. And even though they're Maori indigenous from New Zealand, I was like, this could be my community. This could be my res with my cousins and my aunties. And so there's such a, a universality when it does come to representing our specific cultures. And I think that's that's true of, of any story. Some of my favorite films and and television shows have been so specific to communities that are different from my own like Atlanta for example like it was through those specificities that I was able to find a way in and connect or I'll look at films like Moonlight or Minari and and projects like that it's through that specific culture that becomes universal and while we have different languages and cultures as indigenous people there's so much collective history that ties us together, and that's where we were able to bring our influence. And my family was able to look at the trailer and be like, oh my god, the only difference between there and here is that like there's a southern accent happening with some characters.
1: That was Devery Jacobs, star of FX's new series, Reservation Dogs, streaming now on Hulu. For more on her, head over to People.com. And now, something to make you smile. After a long, long, fulfilling career, a nurse from Washington is hanging up her scrubs. C.C. Rigney has been a nurse for over 70 years and has finally decided to retire from Tacoma General Hospital at the age of 96. She's the oldest working nurse in the country, and here's what she told NBC News about her life spent as an essential worker. I have made so many, many friends over the years, and I know I will miss each and every one just amazing. And she's putting her health first for once and stepping away as COVID-19 cases rise again. But she says she hopes to return to the hospital as a volunteer when it is safe. Talk to you tomorrow.